Hey, miserable bitches. We are back with another episode after a month long of Misery Manor. My name is Cody, and today we have Autumn Hart. She's on America's Got Talent and American Idol. Am I? I don't know. Um, we'll let you be the judge. <laughs> and before we get started, make sure you leave your manners at the door. Guess who's back in the house? Ayo. We're back after a month, a little over a month. And I'm sure you're probably wondering, where is Emily? Well, Emily got a little bit, so her work right now is like their busy season. So she was not able to do it this week, which we'll miss her. Um, but she'll be back next week. But I was like, I don't, we promised him that we would give him an episode in April. Um, we're approaching the second week of April. We, we did do one. So <laughs> I was like, you know what? Me and Autumn are going to do one. We did one before. We got gr great chemistry and we got to be here for y'all to give you an episode, honey. Mm -hmm. So Autumn stepped up to the plate and she said, baby, don't worry. I got you. Let's record. So I made tortellinis, mm -hmm. mushrooms. Um, I made the mushrooms. You made the mushrooms. <laughs> Spinach. Anything and else? And we had some pesto in there. Oh, and some pesto. So uh, it's so been a little um Italian and night. And we listened to Luciano Pavarotti. Is that how you say it? Yes. Okay. Actually, <laughs> I it used is? to. I used to um, take voice lessons from this guy, Brian Sheck Snyder, and he used to sing at the Metropolitan for 20 years with Luciano Pavarotti. Oh, my God. Mm -hmm. Oh, you are a singer. Yeah. Okay. You're not, <laughs> you're not just beauty. You're, you have a talent. People always ask me, what is your talent? I don't have one. Um, your comedy. <laughs> that's natural. Yeah, but that's a talent. It not is Not everyone talent. is gifted with it. <laughs> that is true. And I'm also really gifted at making people laugh. That's true. I should have a comedy podcast, too, on the side. Oh, my God. That would be funny. Wouldn't it? Um. Yeah, we're back. I missed you guys. Honestly, though, this break has been much needed. Um, when you look up all these cases, like these week after week, it starts to really take an effect on your like psyche. You're mm. like, I'm like, I felt like I was so engulfed in like murder and like <laughs> all this crazy shit. I was like so paranoid to even go out to the bar. So I'm like, oh my God, is someone going to be here? Which is so funny because you're already the most anxious person I know. I know. So mixing the two, that's why she got a heavy dose of Zoloft. <laughs> <laughs> and my doctor was like, where do you think it stems from? And I'm like, mm. I think it's the podcast. Couldn't be the murder podcast. I know. <laughs> Could not be. There's no way. And I'm like, mm. Couldn't be the hours of research looking into people's mysterious deaths. So, but you know what? I love it. And I ain't going nowhere, baby. So before we get into this case, we have some new um, Patreons I'm going to shout out. We have Sienna. We have Debbie. We got Chloe. We got Samantha. And we got, they signed up as the Al Alvarado girls. So it's like a mom and all of her daughters, which I think is adorable. And speaking of Patreons, um, I posted on our Instagram at Misery Manor Podcast, but I ordered all of these true crime, like, 
you know the little patches that you can like yeah what's it called iron on patches yeah but they're all like true crime horror film oh God, themed yeah. so all the patreons are gonna get those sent to them in the mail and if you have kids or something let me know and i can throw some more in there for all of you so that's my gift to you besides this you need to have girl scout vests that you said oh up. my god wouldn't that be hilarious <laughs> like the what are they called the little brownies oh my god the brownie cups <laughs> the <laughs> you, brownies get, you have like little uh levels yeah. all the brownies are gonna be getting yeah good idea but no what was i gonna say oh and then after we record this we're gonna record a new um patreon episode over haunted dolls Ooh. Not Barbie dolls, but some fucking scary ass dolls. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's it. We're back. We're not going anywhere. The break is over. I do miss it. So let's get into this. So I posted on our Instagram if y'all wanted to hear something scary or y'all wanted to hear a murder. And it was like 80% wanted murder. I'm like, well, I guess that makes sense. This is a true crime podcast. Mm. But I was like, I kind of wanted to do murder. I mean, <laughs> I kind of wanted to do a haunt, like a haunted episode, but fuck it. So, and then one of our listeners, her name's Perla. Love her. She's gorgeous. Like literally she looks like a little doll. Oh, but she was like, well, I really like the Allison Botha episode. Do you remember that one? And she survived. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I could do a survival story. So the one that I'm doing today is a survival story, but it's also, there's murder in it too. So unfortunately somebody survives and someone dies, but it's a mixture. All right. A little mixture, mixture, baby. So let's get into this. Hopefully I didn't lose my mojo. No, no, maybe you couldn't. You could never. So, okay. So in September of 1978, young and vibrant 15 year old Mary Vincent accepted a ride while hitchhiking from a man named Lawrence Singleton. Lawrence then kidnapped, raped, and tortured Mary beyond, uh, like, the circumstances she went through. It's just horrible, and you'll see. How did this happen, you may be wondering? So Mary Vincent was, you know, just like a rebellious runaway teen. She was, like, heading to go see her grandfather in California. So she accepted this ride, and little did she know this would change her life forever. So, yes, Mary did survive the harrowing ordeal, but her story was only the beginning of the monster that is Lawrence Singleton. So, this is the survival story of Mary Vincent, who was left for dead. Mary Vincent was born in Las Vegas, Nevada. Ooh, hey. True story. I've never been to Las Vegas, believe it or not. Never. So in Las Vegas, Nevada in 1963. So, and she was one of seven children. So mama was getting it, baby. So her father worked as a mechanic while serving in the military. He met Mary's mother, who was a blackjack dealer. So Mary was a skilled dancer and all of her dance teachers thought Mary was destined to be successful in this. So she had worked the front stage at the Lido de Paris in Las Vegas. Have you ever heard of that? Yeah. Okay. So she worked front stage on that one, as well as in Australia and Hawaii. So from an early age, her dream was to grow up and become a professional dancer. It was her passion, and she greatly enjoyed it. So as Mary entered her teenage years, Mary began 
rebelling her strict parents and often skipped school. She even left town with her boyfriend at one point and occasional, but they would come back. So around this time, Mary's parents were actually going through a very messy divorce, which caused her to run away from their home in Las Vegas. So she wanted to escape her home life and take matters into her own hands. She was like, fuck this. I'm tired of hearing y'all scream and bicker. I'm just going to leave. So when Mary was 15, she and her boyfriend ran away together. And they had done this from time to time. But this occasion, they were like in it for the long run. They're like, we're leaving and we ain't turning back. And imagine at 15. God, you're like a baby. I still couldn't do it. I'd be scared. I'd be like. I have to use my GPS to go anywhere. I like call my mom like four times a day. I get a stomach (laughs) ache and I'm like, mom. Mommy. (laughs) (laughs) So with little money and nowhere to go, the two lived out of a car and did what they had to do to survive and get money, honey. However, this was short lived. This surprised me because to her surprise, her boyfriend was arrested for raping another teenage girl. And it just, this just blew her side. Like, she was like, what? So he was arrested. And then she, so they took him to jail. And she was just left on her own. Oh, my gosh. At 15. At 15. So after the arrest of her boyfriend, Mary headed south and briefly lived with an uncle in Sokol, California. S-O-Q-U-E-L. Soquel, Whatever. California. Eventually, she decided to hitchhike hitchhike towards Corona, California, which is a city just outside of Los Angeles, to visit her grandfather. So hitchhiking was very common practice in the 19 or 1978s because it was a time when many people didn't have cars. Right. And also people weren't as shitty back then, I don't think. So they would hitchhike and it would be Well they didn't to have it. murder podcasts. I'm sure people were still dying a lot, but That's you true. didn't hear about it as much. They didn't have misery manner back mm-hmm. then. That's true. See, I am Jesus Christ, a true crime. (laughs) Here to warn the people, honey. (laughs) So on September 29th, 1978, Mary set off to make the journey to her grandfather's. Mary was not alone. There was actually two other people hitchhiking on the side of the road with her. And they both held up the same side. It was like, we're going, going south. So they figured, you know, if someone picked him up, all three of them would be going together, right? So eventually a blue van stopped and the three of them were super excited to finally have a ride. However, the man that pulled up said, sorry, I only have room for one. And he like pointed at um, Mary and was like, you, do you want to come? So the other two hitchhikers told Mary, they're like, no, I, this is kind of concerning. He's pointing at the female. We can see that he has plenty of room in his van. This is dangerous. Like you don't need to go by yourself. But she was, like, very anxious to get to where she was going, right? So 50-year-old Lauren Singleton, who was a merchant seaman, asked Mary, where are you headed? And she said, I'm trying to get to Los Angeles, California. He said, okay, well, I'm headed to Reno, Nevada, and I can bring you to Los Angeles on my way. So not only did Lawrence just seem like a nice older man, but Mary knew that she had 400 miles between where she was then and where she was going. Mm. And she was in no position to decline this offer. Right. Because she thought she was going to have to like hop along the way. She didn't think someone was going to take her a straight shot. So despite what the other two hitchhikers told her and warned her, she agreed and she entered Lawrence's van. And I put in my notes, why it always got to be a van? Right. It's always the damn vans. Don't trust the van. No offense if you have a van. I doubt you have one of these vans, but like, it's always a van. It's very murderous. Very. 
Especially when it has the door that oh you, Oh, my like, God, no. Like, and there's no windows in the back? Yeah. Or they have, like, the makeshift little curtains. Oh, my God. Not the curtains. <laughs> so, although Lawrence had a very friendly demeanor, Lawrence had previously been convicted of contributing to the delinquency of a minor and had a history of alcohol abuse. So, and I added this in here, not that this makes somebody a bad person, but just for context, Lawrence was also recently divorced from his second wife, um, and he was estranged from his daughter. So, kind of some red flags, you know, mm. but whatever. So, like I said, Mary gladly hopped into Lawrence's van, and off they went to Los Angeles, California. Or so she thought. So, it did not take Mary long into the ride before she realized something was, like, off. So Mary quickly realized that she may have made a mistake and she should have listened to the other hitchhikers. But she continued on the ride. What's she going to do? Hop out. So at one point, Mary sneezed and Lawrence said, are you sick? And she was like, no, 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 no. It's I don't think so. I'm just, you know, it's just a sneeze. So after assuring him that she was not sick, he put his hand on her neck to check her temperature. And Mary, who was not a fan of physical touch, like kind of like backed away, especially from like a stranger. However, Mary thought about it and she was like, well, maybe he's just being really nice. Maybe he's actually concerned for me. So this actually made her feel better about getting in the car. She was like, oh, he actually cares. Like if he thought if he wanted to do something to me, why would he care if I was sick? You know, so Mary then feeling relaxed about the whole situation, laid her head against the door of the van and she fell asleep. Never good. Oh. So little did she know that she was actually about to wake up to a real life nightmare. So when Mary awoke, she noticed that they were traveling in the wrong direction. She noticed that the streets were not headed in the right direction. She knew she knew the route and she was like, this is not it. She was like, we're not headed toward like we are headed straight towards Nevada, completely skipping Los Angeles. So Mary was like, where are you going? This is the wrong way. What are you doing? I thought we were going to Los Angeles. So he sort of just gave Mary the silent treatment at this point, And she became very concerned. So all of these bad thoughts that she had in the beginning started coming back and she was like, fucking shit. I should have listened to those hitchhikers. I should have listened to my intuition. Intuition. Trust yourself, girl. Yeah. So Mary actually glanced down at her feet and noticed that her shoes were untied. So she told herself, like, if I want a chance to survive, I'm going to have to outrun this man. He's older, but yeah, like I need to make sure my shoes are prepared. So she bent down and tied her shoelaces. And when she was tying her shoes, she noticed a sharp stick laying on the floorboard that was like sharp, right? Ooh. Which I would have been like, why is this in here? I would have grabbed that. But she grabbed it and she turned around and pointed it at him. And she said, turn around now. To which Lawrence said, whoa, whoa, whoa. And he said, quote, I'm just an honest man who made a mistake. I'll turn around. And she was like, okay. So to Mary's surprise, he didn't put up a fight and he actually did turn around. However, after driving some time, Lawrence was like, hey, I'm going to pull over. I have to use the restroom. And she was like, OK. So Mary took this opportunity to also get out of the van, just stretch her legs, get some fresh air, you know, what have you. So she noticed again that her damn shoe was untied. I'm like, damn, why are your shoes just... You're just sitting there. Yeah, literally. <laughs> so her shoelace was untied again. So she bent over to tie her shoe. With Mary now crouched down and her back turned away from Lawrence, he crept up behind her with a freaking hammer, <gasps> covered her mouth, and beat her in the head with the hammer oh. and dragged her into the back of the van. Oh my God. So Mary blacked out from the blow to the head, obviously. 
But when she came to, she was inside of the van and she was tied up in the back of his van. Mm. So Lawrence proceeded to rape her over and over again. And he told her, quote, I will kill you if you even try and scream. You want to survive. You need to obey. Oh, fuck. And when I show you a picture of this man, let me show you now so you can have a visual. The nose alone, honey. Oh. Let me show you really quickly. Because in all of you. You're going to need to look at a picture of this because it's going to make it worse for you. There he is. Oh. Oh. I mean, you know, oh my being God. raped by anybody's not good, but baby, that's not the first one. Oh, my God. <laughs> so horrible, right? So Mary recalled that he must have raped her at least six times. Oh. All in which Mary was saying, why are you doing this to me? Why me? And she was trying to be very... You know, trying to, like, humanize herself, you know? But he just was not. He was, like, giving her the silent treatment again. So after hours and hours of rape and acts of sodomy, so he was Mm. inserting stuff inside her as well, um, Lawrence eventually fell asleep. However, Mary could not use this as a time to, like, escape because she was still tied up. So she said at that point she just wanted to die. She said, quote, that was the worst feeling I ever felt. Mary said that she just laid in his van crying and she said, quote, please, God, just kill me now. I can't handle this anymore. Mm. So imagine being 15. Oh, my God. Just a baby. And she kept saying, I just want to be home. I just want to go home. I want to be around my family. And horrible. Just a baby. So Lawrence eventually woke up. He then bound Mary's hands behind her and drove for a while longer. So eventually he came to a stop, cut her hands free, and ordered her to drink some unknown alcohol from a plastic jug, which kind of like, I don't think it was alcohol. I think it was probably alcohol mixed with something else because she was kind of like dazed and confused. Yeah. Yeah. So before continuing his assault again. Mm. So Mary cried and cried as she endured hours of rape again. So I want to point out that she was wide awake through the hours of rape to the point where she saw the sun starting to rise the next day. So that just gives you perspective of how long he was raping her over and over again. So she begged and she pleaded with him, quote, please let me go. Please just set me free. I won't tell. And she said this over and over again. Please just set me free. So Lawrence suddenly stopped the van in a deserted area and said to Mary, quote you want to be free i'll set you free mary was like yes yes please i want to be free you can literally just drop me off right here i will find my way so this part is really this part warning you need you need to listen to this part because it's going to make sense as when you see the pictures but this is very horrible so lawrence then went to his toolbox and grabbed a hatchet So he made his way back over to Mary, grabbed her left arm, took one powerful swing. Mm -hmm. And so Mary recalled after the first swing, she started to fall to the ground. But Lawrence took another swing at her arm. So Mary said she grabbed his arm real tight, but she was still falling and she couldn't figure. She was like, if I'm holding on to him, why am I falling? When she looked down, she noticed her arm was detached from her. Oh, so he had cut his arm, her arm right off. Oh, my God. And blood was just squirting from her nub. 
So Mary said in an interview that she was aware and she felt everything. Like most people would pass out or like kind of black out from that, but she felt everything. She said she felt the burning pain. She felt the warm blood surrounding her entire body. She felt like the heat just come up to her. Um, She said it was the most agonizing pain i almost put antagonizing (laughs) agonizing pain she's ever felt oh my god but lawrence was not done so he took her right arm but mary started kicking and screaming hoping and praying that someone would hear her and at least come and save her right so he proceeded to chop her right arm (sighs) off but because she was putting up such a fight it took longer and he would like miss and he would hack something else and just it was taking longer but eventually she saw her arm fall to the ground. So now she has both oh of her arms God. are detached from her, which to me, that was so horrible because regardless, but like when you're being attacked, you use your hands and your right. arms for, de- if you don't Defend, have your hands, you literally can't, do you can't do anything. So she saw her arm fall to the ground. So Mary laid on the ground bleeding out, but she said she could see Lawrence in the distance. And he was like flicking his arm like this. Like, you know, like when your arm's asleep and you're right. flicking it. She was like, what is he doing? It looks like he's trying to get something off of him. He turns around and she noticed her arm, her hand was still clutched <gasps> to his arm and it was stuck and he was trying to get her arm off. Isn't oh, that just. <gasps> my God. Yeah. Like her, the pressure just stayed and he was trying to get her arm off of her, him. So Lawrence must have thought Mary was dead because she was just laying there quietly and not moving. So he dragged Mary out of the van and threw her off a 30-foot cliff (gasps) and said, you wanted to be free? Quote, okay, now you're free. But against all odds, she somehow managed to survive. As Mary laid at the bottom of the cliff, all she wanted to do was go to sleep, which I've never been in a situation where I don't think you have either. But like, haven't you noticed like when people take blows and stuff, they just want to go to sleep. I think it's your body's just so tired of putting up a fight. You just want to you think you're so sleepy and she just remembers laying there thinking, I just want to close my eyes for just a little bit. Um, She said she was tired. She was weak. She was on the verge of death. She could tell. However, just as she wanted to give up, Mary said that she heard a voice say, don't go to sleep, Mary. He's going to do this to someone else. You have to survive so he cannot do this to somebody else. You can do this. Get up. So Mary was naked. So she's butt naked. She doesn't have arms. She's falling in and out of consciousness because of the shock. And she was like literally bleeding out from her arms. There was blood everywhere, she said. So Mary knew that she had to stop the bleeding ASAP if she wanted to survive. So she is so smart. What she did was she packed the ends of her arms with like mud and clay mm. so that it would harden and like act as kind of like a bandage, which I would have never thought to do that. Right. So Mary somehow managed to crawl out of the canyon only using what was left of her arm. So it was cut off at like this point. Oh so like God. mid both of bicep. Them? Yes, both of them. Um, so she was just using her legs basically to crawl out of that 30 foot canyon. And by the time she made it up the cliff, um, it was nighttime. 
So Mary said that it was so dark that she couldn't see anything. And she's already kind of like blacking out. She said, quote, if it was not for the moon and the stars, I would have not been able to see anything. Because remember, they're off the the beat. They're in the middle of nowhere. So she could hear the sounds of traffic off in the distance and knew that there had to be a freeway close by. So Mary, who was naked, covered in blood and armless, walked three miles to Interstate 5. So while walking, she held up what remained of her arms straight to the sky because when she looked down, she noticed that her muscles and her ligaments and her bones were falling out. So she was like, I feel like if I lift my arms up, the blood won't you know, right. rush out and I can save whatever's left of oh, my arms. Yeah. So finally, Mary caught a glimpse of a car coming down the highway. So she started waving her arms, screaming. Oh, and by the, t- by the time she got up there, it was so she, when she got on top of that um, hill, it was nighttime, right? Right. But by the time she walked three miles, it was starting to be morning. morning. So that just shows three miles, but she was so defeated. That just uh, shows you how slow she was moving. I'm just so shocked that she even got that far. No, I think I would have given up, honestly. So Mary caught a glimpse of this car coming down the highway. She started waving her arms scream what was left of her arms that sounds horrible but screaming and crying for help she saw the car was like a red convertible with two people inside but as they approached her they got up to her and they the sight of her scared them so they zipped away from her which she laughed in the interview and she was like i mean can you blame them she was like i look like something from a horror film literally so fortunately though a second car stopped to help her it was a couple who was on their honeymoon and they had gotten lost happy honeymoon oh my god so the couple pulled over jumped out of the truck and helped mary into their vehicle so the couple did the best they could to dress her wounds and quickly called the paramedics so mary was then put into a helicopter and sent to a nearby uh, hospital in effort to save her life so once at the hospital mary was rushed into surgery to try to save not only her life but what was left of her arms it was determined that Mary had lost over 50% of her blood and that her blood was at a toxic level. The doctors were like, how are you alive? And she was like, I think my will to live kept me going. Um, So after an intense surgery to save her life, she was fitted with prosthetic arms, a change that would take years of physical therapy um, to adjust to. Also, she had to undergo intensive psychotherapy to help her cope with the trauma she had been experiencing or experienced. So thankfully, during the time that Mary did spend with Lawrence, she made sure that she had a really good understanding of what he looked like, um, just in case something went wrong. She was like, if if he does do anything, I need to know what he looks like so I can report him. Right. So because of this, Mary was able to provide such a detailed description of Lawrence to authorities that he was quickly identified by the police sketch um, that she that they drew for her and the police sent out were searched, um, went out to find him. So police went to Lawrence's home in San Pablo and searched the house for evidence. Mary's cigarettes were found there and remnants of burnt clothing that appeared to be hers was also found. Come to find out Lawrence with the help of a neighbor had already cleaned his van before police arrived. They had removed all the carpet, all the siding, everything, and they had thoroughly washed it. And they said it was almost spotless. Mm. So he knew. So when the police began to question him, Lawrence already had a story made up. He told police that he picked Mary up. After that, he picked up another two male hitchhikers named Larry and Pedro. Lawrence said that the four of them stopped at a bar, 
smoked some weed, and they all had paid to have sex with Mary. So he's trying to pull the whole sex worker thing. So Lawrence claimed that he passed out after that, and that Larry, the other hitchhiker, um, offered to just drive them to San Francisco while Lawrence got some rest. He told the police that once he awoke, he saw Mary's clothes in the van, but Mary was gone, as well as Larry and Pedro. So he denied time and time again of attacking her. They were like, it must have been him. It must have been the other two. Because when I woke up, they were gone. So given this detailed story from Lawrence, the police were still not buying this bullshit. And they made an arrest. So Mary Vincent testified against Lawrence in court. And the two of them sat less than 10 feet apart. What would you do? Jump across there and be like, you fucking Oh my god, I guess I would use my bare teeth. Yeah, because he ain't got throat out. (laughs) Not the teeth. You got legs, (laughs) too. So, in court, it was the first time that Mary had actually seen Lawrence since the attack. So, imagine what's going through her fucking head. Traumatizing. So, in court, Lawrence again insisted that Mary was a sex worker and he denied he had committed any crimes. Lawrence even called her, he didn't call her Mary, he called her a $10 a night whore. And she was like, I'm worth 20. (laughs) <laughs> she said, I'm 15. Right. Or she said, I'm not even a fucking sex worker. Yeah. So as Mary left the witness stand, Lawrence whispered to her, I'll finish this job if it takes the rest of my life. So ultimately, Lawrence was found guilty of rape, kidnapping, and attempted murder and was sentenced to 14 years in prison. That's it? I know. I'm like, bitch, if you set out to kill her, that's murder. You just weren't successful. I'm pretty sure you should get 14 years just for throwing her body off Off of a cliff. I know. So with Lawrence locked away, Mary was reportedly having trouble with her family and felt isolated in her. Because remember, she's 15, so she went back to high school. So she was having trouble in high school. So she moved away as soon as she graduated high school and became secretive about her life and location. She was so embarrassed, you know. It was on national news. So traumatized and depressed, Mary developed an eating disorder. She had trouble leaving the house. And as a result, um, all of her close relationships with friends, family, even boyfriends, they all fell apart. So she felt very lonely. So Mary did later say that she contemplated suicide, but could never actually go through it because she felt like she had a purpose. She didn't know what it was, but she felt like she was here for a reason. Mm -hmm. So fast forward, after just eight years in prison, Lawrence was released for good behavior. Good behavior. You cut her arms off. Oh my gosh. You, I'm sorry, but if you cut somebody's arm off, that ain't good behavior, no matter how long afterwards. I mean, I, I, you would think that like anything with a minor would be extra time too. But armless? That's rude. Like, what the hell? So he was. they said he was great in prison. Ideal role model, whatever. Yeah, because so, there's no 15 year olds around. Right. So once Mary found out that he had been released, she was constantly worried that Lawrence would follow through on his promise. Because remember, he was like, I'm going to do this if it's the last thing I do. So tragically, the promise he made, he followed through. Oh, my God. But Mary was not the one on the receiving end. And the result of his next attack was far worse. Once released, 
from prison, the public was obviously not eager to have Lawrence back in their communities. Who would? So towns all throughout California refused to allow him to live within their borders, and many would hold up signs that said, drop dead, Lawrence, or get the maniac out. They would literally find where he was and just post up outside be like, get out. Good. I know. So according to Time Magazine, quote, as authorities attempted to settle him in one Bay Area town after another, angry crowds in Tampa's chapter of Guardian Angels led protests, screamed, picketed, and eventually prevailed. I think the Guardian of Angels, isn't that that motorcycle group that will come and help? No, that's Hell's Angels. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think it's something along those lines. So like I said, the communities were livid. In the town of Rodeo, about 25 miles northeast of San Francisco, a crowd of approximately 500 local pro- uh, protesters forced officers to move Lawrence under armed guard from a hotel room. They found out he was in this hotel room, and armed guards had to escort him out. Oh my then authorities tried housing Lawrence across the street from Concord City Hall, but that was met with protest and failed as well. So Lawrence was removed from one apartment to another, and eventually they had to give him a bulletproof vest because 400 residents surrounded his last building to try to, like, get at him. So authorities were like, well, what the fork do we do with this guy? I have the answer. Leave him in prison. Literally. So without a place to say, the governor at the time made Lawrence spend the remainder of his parole in a trailer on the prison grounds. I'm like, just stick him in fucking prison. All right. So he had a curfew and he had a bodyguard. So he joined Alcoholics Anonymous and claimed he was sober and getting on the right track. Well, good. Can we cut your arms off too and your penis? (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. So by the late 1990s, Lawrence had moved to Florida to try to start over. So literally opposite side of the country. Away from anyone who knew him. But once a monster always a fucking monster, and Lawrence was quick to pick up where he left off. Mm. Unfortunately, his next victim would not be as lucky as Mary. So we're going to talk about Roxanne Hayes, who is unfortunately the victim, who had a very, very, very sad story, which a lot of people even failed to care for or, like, realize. Because Roxanne was labeled in the newspapers as a prostitute. They would never mention her name. So to give light to Roxanne and her story, I did some digging And her story is actually really compelling and actually really sad. Because like I said, and I'm going to go into this later, when it came out that she was murdered, they never said, you know, Roxanne Hayes murdered by Lawrence. She was always referred to as a prostitute, which is horrible. So from an early age, Roxanne was abused sexually by her father at the age of two. So according to her grandmother, she said, yeah, she was like molested and all that by her grandfather by two. She said, quote, everyone knew about it, but no one did anything. It was kind of like out of sight, out of mind. Roxanne's father was described as, quote, an abusive drunk, but he would physically abuse her until she was 14. That same year, her mother, who was a bartender, died. And so Roxanne just left home for good because she was close with her mother. But with her mother dead, what is she going to do? Right. So Roxanne, who was still a young teen, was taken in by family and friends and managed to graduate Hillsborough High School in 1984. Her sophomore yearbook photo, she is very plump and she had a thick head of hair, mm-hmm. but she was very, very large. So she was six foot tall and she weighed 380 pounds. So wow. she was a big girl. 
So because of her stature, all throughout high school, she was made fun of because of her appearance and her weight. She would often tell people that she had no friends. And anytime she attended school parties or dances, she said, quote, no one would dance with her. So she was she felt very alone. Roxanne soon began her rebellious era and started smoking marijuana and skipping school altogether. Once she was finally out of school, she became involved with a lot of men, one of which who fathered her first child. So it is not clear when Roxanne became addicted to cocaine, but in June of 1986, she was charged with possession of cocaine. With her newfound drug use, Roxanne lost weight. So she went from 360 pounds to 200. And when she died, she weighed 170. So Roxanne pleaded guilty to the possession charge, and she was sentenced to four years of probation. She violated her probation with an arrest of prostitution, which was her first charge. And then in April of 1987, she was sentenced to two years of house arrest. Roxanne violated her house arrest with another prostitution arrest in December of that year and was sentenced to 18 years in prison. Poor thing. Mm. I think she just felt so alone. Some, I feel like, I mean, I don't do hard drugs like that, but sometimes they say that community is when you're all alone and you're vulnerable like that, sometimes those are the people that you're closest to, you know? Right. And she was doing what she had to do to make money. So sadly, this was just a downward spiral. And over the next decade, this platform of arrest and rearrest would repeat itself a dozen times. So ultimately, Roxanne's criminal record would become a thicket of overlapping charges. Once she was out of prison, Roxanne did try to get back on her feet. She applied for many jobs, including bookkeeping and fast food industry positions. However, she was denied the job once they reviewed her background and her criminal record. So she had no working experience either. So they're like, you know, she's not going to get the job. She did get one job as a bookkeeper, but the owner came on to her and like tried to pay her for sex. Mm. So she made money the quickest way and the easiest way she could. Prostitution and selling drugs. So Roxanne soon met a man named Tyson who was a trick, he said. Oh. Tyson met Roxanne in 1988 on the end of E. <laughs> What was that? <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> Roxanne soon met... Hold on. <laughs> Roxanne soon met a man named Tyson who was a trick. <laughs> well, that's what he called himself. No, I'm not calling him that. So Tyson met Roxanne in 1988 on the end of E. Hillsborough Avenue. So Tyson said, quote, She asked me... Can you give me a ride? I'm sleepy, Tyson said, quote. So I gave her a ride. She slept in my car. We talked. She talked about her daughter. Then I took her to my sister's house. She slept for a couple of days. And then on then on things blossomed. So he said from that point, he actually got to know the real Roxanne. Mm. So at first he picked her up as like, you know, to take advantage of her. And then they blossomed. So... <laughs> Guys, we're laughing because Autumn just farted. I hope it's on this. I hope it's in the video. Oh my god, it's my worst nightmare. Well, it happened. I felt it coming, and it went boom. So we'll have to play that back and see if it I made feel an appearance. Like I've disrespected Roxanne. <laughs> That's what I think about that. <laughs> so, anyways, Tyson and Roxanne would go on to have two sons together, <laughs> Clifton and Malachi. 
So the boys were born healthy with no trace of drugs in their system. Although Roxanne had a criminal record, she was described by many who got to know her as bright, caring, funny, and very witty. So just to point out Roxanne's sense of humor, one time she was given like a Santa doll around Christmas time who like you would squeeze it and it would go ho, ho, ho. So when Roxanne got this doll, she squeezed it and the lady was like, oh, it says ho, ho, ho. And she goes, are you calling me a ho? <laughs> and then she laughed about it. So she could joke about it, right? So Roxanne was a wonderful mother and it was noted by school officials that she never missed a school performance or activity that her kids were involved in. She was always front and center with a smile on her face, supporting her child, her children and whatever they did. So even though she, you know, was a sex worker involved in drugs, she was a good mother. So Tyson would drive rocks. Oh, I'm sorry. So Tyson had been working as a truck driver for a carpet and flooring company, but he injured himself in a car accident in 1996. So he, his left knee required surgery. They didn't have the funds to get it fixed. So he wasn't able to work. So Roxanne became the sole provider of the family above, which poor thing. So Tyson would drive Roxanne to the corner where she worked most nights as a sex worker. Unfortunately, this is how she came in contact with Lawrence Singleton. So on February 19th, 1997, just a few years after Lawrence's release, a painter called the police after witnessing something gruesome and disturbing through a window of a home that he was walking past in Tampa, Florida. While talking to 911 dispatcher, the horrified caller said that he saw a nude man raising his arm again and again over a bloody woman who was slouched over his couch. So he told the police, quote, I hear bones crushing like chicken bones breaking. So he could hear that from outside of the house. Oh my God. So when a police arrived on scene, they were met by none other than Lawrence Singleton. This was his home and he was covered in blood from head to toe. And on the sofa inside the living room lay the lifeless body of 31-year-old Roxanne Hayes. Oh. So she had actually arranged a date with Lawrence and had agreed for $20 for sex. Oh, my gosh. Lawrence had stabbed the mother of three to death with a boning knife, <gasps> which I believe is used to cut bones. For... <laughs> is that not right? Or for, like, fish or something? Probably. It looks like one of them fishies. Those fishies. So Lawrence told police that Roxanne had tried to rob him during their encounter. Although Roxanne had been arrested over 50 times since 1986 for prostitution, Grand Theft Auto, cocaine, and at the end of the day, she was a loving mother who did what she had to do to provide for her family and friends. So, like I said, many of the news outlets made Roxanne out to seem like just like a drug addict, prostitute. They referred to her as a prostitute as her actual name. So there was literally a title of a newspaper called prostitute murdered by Lawrence Singleton, never giving her name. So Roxanne Hayes's youngest daughter, Akina, wrote in a letter, quote, I don't think my mom should have died, and I just don't understand why. She was a good mom to me and my two brothers and a good wife to my father. I wrote this to notify the public that my mom was not as bad as the newscast described her. She did what she had to do for us kids, and she loved us very much.
When Mary Vincent got word of the horrific murder that Lawrence had committed, she wasted no time and she flew from California to Florida to testify on Roxanne's behalf. In court, she detailed her own story to highlight just how sick and twisted Lawrence was and why he should be sentenced to not only prison, but to death. She said, I was raped. I had my arms cut off. He used a hatchet. He left me to die. And she pointed to Lawrence with her prosthetic arms. And there's a picture of it, which is just so like mm. telling, you know, that jury was horrified. So the jury was in shock, but Mary helped bring justice to that courtroom and acted as the voice of Roxanne who could not do it herself. She was like, I'm here to be Roxanne's voice. Oh my God, her purpose. So Lawrence was sentenced to death. On April 14, 1998, he spent three years in prison awaiting his execution, but the motherfucker died of cancer at the age of 74, still on death row. Ugh. Mary was actually really upset that Lawrence passed away in 2001 before she could face him. She said, quote, I wanted to see his eyes. Eyes are important to me. When he was on top of me, I was looking at the axe, trying to stay alive. I later asked if I could look him in the eye, but it didn't happen. Mm. Although he was not executed, Mary Vincent could live in peace for the first time in decades. On a pros oh, on a positive-ish note, after Lawrence's murder of Roxanne, California lawmakers drafted the Singleton Bill that set the minimum sentence of crimes involving torture to 25 years. Mm. So although that is a step in the right direction, it obviously doesn't help what happened. In the years to follow the attack, Mary wasn't sure she would ever live a normal life. So after years of recovery, Mary, Mar <laughs> Mary married, but later divorced. Her oh. trauma had caused her years of stress and depression, and it was just taking a toll on any relationship that she tried to build. Mary said, quote, he destroyed everything about me, my way of thinking, my way of life, holding on to innocence, and I'm still doing everything I can to hold on to it. So Mary struggles from PTSD to the point where she was having such violent flashbacks and dreams that she was physically hurting herself with these episodes. So she told the Seattle Post intelligencer, quote, I've broken bones thanks to my nightmares. I've jumped up and dislocated my shoulder oh. just trying to get out of bed. I've cracked ribs and smashed my nose. Every day I pray to God to make a space I can breathe in, and every day God gives it to me. Eventually, she became a mother of two healthy boys. From there, her life began to change for the absolute better. With the birth of her two boys and her feeling like she finally had a purpose in life, Mary began to heal and establish close relationships as her new family became her life. They always say, like, sometimes when you have a kid, you find your purpose. Right. And that is so true for her. I yeah. think it gives you, like, a reason to, like, keep pushing. But also, if you think about it, when she heard that voice saying, you know, maybe her right. purpose was, you need, you're going to be a mom. Yeah. We need you to stay put. So... Mary said in a 2000 and 2003 interview, she said, quote, I remember being four years old and somebody saying what I wanted to be when I grow up. And she said, I want to be a mother to the world. So Mary said that being a mother had gotten her through some of the most incredible trying years following her attack. So Mary also found peace in her ex-husband's mother. Mary said, quote, I needed a mom and I found one. It's my mother-in-law, Pat Platt. 
is her name, who lives nearby. When anybody asks me if I'm close to my mom, I say yes, because Pat's my mom now. So when Mary Vincent was a young girl, she wanted to be a dancer, remember? And when she grew up, that was her dream. Sadly, though, after her attack, portions of her legs had to be used to reconstruct her arms, which ended her child. They were taking tendons and all that. So she wasn't as strong in her arms as she or in her legs as she used to be. However, she found a creative outlet in in painting, drawing and sketching. And it helped her cope with the trauma of what she'd been through. (laughs) Don't fart again. (laughs) So Mary, this is this part's really cool. So she's like an artist now, right? So Mary couldn't afford to buy the high end. What is it? Prosthetic arms. Bitch, do you need a gas tank? Always. <laughs> We're going to get you one I got some in my purse. We're going to get you one after this. So, like I said, Mary couldn't afford to buy high-end prosthetic arms, so she created her own using parts from refrigerators, stereo systems, and she taught herself to draw and paint using her inventions. Oh my God. Mary said, quote, I like to tinker. So did my grandfather. He was an artist too. So I guess I got it from him. And tinker means like, I guess like picking yeah. like tinker tots, like I guess. Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell. Yeah, so it's for her because she's the fairy who knows how to make things. Oh, I never knew that. So Mary discovered she could draw after Lawrence cut her arms off. So she said before she couldn't even draw a straight line. Even with the ruler, something would mess up. But after the attack, she was able to like draw perfectly. And now she sells her art. Oh, wow. So Mary told the LA Times that she no longer considers herself a victim after Vincent's murder or after the Vince Lawrence murdered Roxanne, California lawmakers drafted up that bill. So that gave her like a sense of like, right. okay, we did it. You know, at least we're going to help people yeah, in the she's future. Progress. Right. So she said, quote, most people, if they ever put their mind into the position where something like this happened to them, they would probably still be in the hospital now, being a big old vegetable. But I've accomplished so much in my life. I need to share that letting them, the public, know that this isn't going to get me down and nothing ever will. So today, Mary pays her bills using a combination of disability and welfare payments and earnings from her art commissions. Mary has created everything from commissioned family portraits to action figures of powerful women. Mary eventually founded the Mary Vincent Foundation to help other survivors of violent crimes. Wow. Amazing. You go. And so actually, we watched the show called I Survived. Have Mm -hmm. you heard of it? Mm -hmm. So she was on it. But, you know, they only talk about, like, 15 minutes of it. So I was like, there's got to be more to this. And, well, we made a whole episode out of it. But it was just so crazy to me, like, coming back from that. Oh, my gosh. And it's so sad because, like, they made it so dramatic. Like, the whole time in the interview, when you don't know that she's getting her arms cut off. And then the minute, like, they talk about her getting her arms cut off, her hand comes up. And it's like, she has, like, Captain Hook hands. Oh, yeah. Not, like, hands. It's just, like, Right, the little hooks. Yeah, with, like, a tissue paper it's really sad but now she like walks her dogs and she's actually really pretty like i'm gonna i'm gonna post all these pictures on misery manor podcast but look at her oh my god see she's walking her dogs this is oh this is roxanne hayes beautiful wow she's gorgeous but um this is her let me see okay doesn't he look like popeye the sailor man yes he literally does when it happened oh oh my gosh but yes, guys, and thank you so much. We're back, baby. 
rate, review, subscribe. Autumn, you have a podcast. Yeah. Follow me at Sex Positive Princess, where we talk about all things kinky and wonderful. And she's going to have a new one called Miss Farty Box. Oh, my God. <laughs> they don't call me Autumn Bottom for no reason. Or Booty Fart. Um, Heart Fart, yeah. Heart Fart, yeah. So, um, stinky pants. Um, <laughs> well, it's well, Lisa to your don't, cooking. No, Lisa doesn't smell. Oh, well, you're not on the side. <laughs> oh, Lord. Let me get you hot box. What's it called? Dutch we've been, oven? We've been hot box in Lord the closet. Jesus. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much. We're back. Um, Leave your comments and suggestions in the comment section. I'd love to take a dive. Until next time. Be a Patreon, too. Love you. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> oh,